This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell. Bird Campbell, PA, law firm founded by two former Dukies. If you have legal business in the states of Texas or Florida, we urge you to look them up at birdcampbell.com. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to DBR Podcast, Duke Basketball Report Podcast number 133. Now, actually, if you're counting, this is 134, but we made a mistake last time because one-third of us were drunk, and the one-third of us that were drunk two said thirds. last... Two-thirds. Two-thirds. Two-thirds, all right. Two-thirds were drunk. Two-thirds. <laughs> so, so the two-thirds who were drunk said... Last time they said it was 134, even though it was 133. So now this one is now 133, even though it's 134. I, it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't matter because we're here to talk about Duke basketball. You don't care how many times we've done it in the past. You're here for the present. You're here for the now. And the now is very, very good for the Duke Blue Devils. Before we get to talking about what's happened in the past couple of days with Duke basketball and a little bit of football as well, let me bring in my partners in crime, the other two-thirds of the team. Are you all sober tonight? Donald Wine in uh, Washington, D.C., back from Durham, I understand. Right, Donald? Yeah, uh, we're recording this late on Sunday, November 11th, because uh, I was driving back from Durham. I got to spend the weekend with one-third of this podcast. Sam uh, was gracious enough to host me uh, on his couch, him and his roommate, Jordan. Uh, Section 5, Fuqua, showed me a great time, and uh, we saw a couple of Duke wins, big Duke wins, uh, in Cameron and in Wallace Wade, so... Uh, it was a good weekend, Sam. Thanks for thanks for letting me crash, and uh, it was it was a fun weekend. We'll do it again. Yeah, Sam Klein, you are you are still in Durham after having Donald visit you. Was that was it a did the weekend live up to all your expectations? Uh, yeah, thank you, Donald, for the shout out to Section Five. What's up, my uh, my people? Uh, we had we had an excellent time. Donald showed up here on Friday. We went to the we went to the game on Saturday. My my parents were also here for the game on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. And then Donald and I and many of my classmates went and celebrated the football victory in Chapel Hill on Saturday night. So that was a good time. Uh, and then we were kind of sleepy, but but still present for the game today in Durham. The the basketball game today, Cameron Indoor, the 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 home opener for the blue devils. So we, we were there for that and doing live commentary. I've never, I've never sat with Donald at a basketball game before. So that was kind of exciting because I thought Donald, you can correct me if, if you felt differently. I thought we were having like a little sort of mini contest between us to see which of us remembered more of the cheers. Yeah. Uh, I will say this uh, <laughs> tomorrow. My legs are going to be uh, filing uh, for a restraining order against the rest of my body because uh, they are tired. Uh, from doing all that jumping, my voice is starting to crack a little bit from all the yelling that uh, Sam and I did. But I think Sam and I represented for the podcast and making sure that everybody was in tune and in midseason form. I love it. I love it. You know what I realized, guys? I, I forgot to say who I am. Like the people out there don't know. Anyway, I am Jason Evans. I am steering the ship this week. This week, I am the man in charge, and we will begin the fun by talking about the basketball game that happened just a few hours ago, the Duke Blue Devils played the Army Knights. Duke won 94 to 72. And 
you know, it's sort of weird, like that final margin of 22 points. I should point out, by the way, Duke was a 40-point favorite in this game, so we did not cover the spread. The final margin of 22 points both doesn't indicate how close the game was and also... I, I I don't know. It's sort of it, it was kind of a it was a really weird game for Duke because at, there were times there was a time early in the second half when Army had cut it to two points. I think. I mean, this was a truly competitive game, but at the same time, guys, y'all were there. Did it? It never really felt like Duke was in danger of losing, did it? Do, Donald, you, you lead it off for me. Tell me your impressions from from this game, um, and let's see how long you can go before you mention the name Zion Williamson. Uh, well. First of all, all hats off to Army for how they played because I don't think it was, you know, I don't think the game was ever in doubt, but Army sure did put on a great performance today. And and on Veterans Day, it, it's almost kind of fitting uh, that they represented their institution uh, the way they did because I thought they played tremendously well. Uh, it, I'm looking at the stats, and, uh, you know, for them, they shot 46, almost 47% from three-point in the first half, and it seemed that seems low. Uh, because it seemed like everything they were taking were open jumpers. Um, you know, they were passing the ball very well, uh, and everything seemed to be going in at one point. So uh, I really, uh, really admire the effort that they put forward. Uh, I think it just kind of ran out of gas uh, in the second half. Now, uh, before I mention uh, number one in your hearts, number one in the scorebook, I am going to quote Stephen A. Smith in discussing what I think of Zion Williamson's performance today. My God. This man is a beast. And to see him <laughs> in person be beast-like, I look, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to give it to Sam in a second because he was standing right next to me, but there were literally maybe five, five or six times during the game, really the first half, when he had 21 points in the first half. He, We both looked at each other and we're just like, what? This dude's amazing. This dude's unreal. A, a lot of uh, just accolades for this dude because what he has done so far uh, in a Duke uniform has just been nothing short of incredible. And to see it live, um, everything is uh, – uh, Jason, when we were talking earlier, you used the word emphatic. That is exactly what he does. Everything he does is is like – if it's a block, is like that person owes him money. If it's a dunk – <laughs> it's like the rim stole something from him. Like he does everything with power, but he still has that flow and that, that grace to really be nimble, be quick. He hustles. His motor is unlike any player I have seen live. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm counting NBA, high school, college. He is His motor is one of the greatest I have seen ever live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. He, hey, so go ahead. So, so. Yeah, so I was going to say, and Sam, I'll get it over to you. Um, I'm Donald. I'm so glad you mentioned and talked about that on a day when Duke was struggling with intensity a little bit. I mean, look, after Kentucky, we we playing Army just isn't the same thing. Um, I think Duke, the team was struggling uh, with intensity, struggling with um, you know with with focus, perhaps a little bit. Um, Zion Williamson was on the floor constantly. There was no such thing as a loose ball that he wasn't going to go after, like. He didn't care who he was playing. He was going to put in maximum effort. What an admirable thing. Sam, what was it like to watch it from your perspective? Mesmerizing, incredible, uh, astounding. There was a point in the second half when Zion collected his sixth block, and Donald and I were saying to each other, we were like, he he could get a triple-double 
with, with blocks, blocks today. <laughs> it, it didn't end up happening. He ended up getting stuck on six. But what what an incredible performance to watch. And one of the things I noticed today that I guess I hadn't really seen before is that it's not like Zion. We knew this. It's not like Zion is the tallest guy on the team. But my God, when he gets up in the air, it's like he just hangs there forever. And the way that he the way that he's able to just engulf a shot by the other team is is astounding and and quite frankly scary. The stuff I wanted to touch on was actually more on the other players and and I actually wanted to sort of pivot and be the Debbie Downer here. The the offense today really didn't have any of the same flow that it had against Kentucky. Guys were not able to get to the rim. I thought a huge issue was the number of outside jumpers and not even three pointers like like long twos that in particular, Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett seem to want to take today. I, I didn't really understand what the offensive game plan was against Army. It didn't seem like the team quite had. Now I say that they ended up scoring ninety four points, but there were there were periods where it felt like they were settling for jumpers that they didn't want to settle for. Oh and- yeah, settle settle for jumpers was the story of the game. Do you know? I don't know if you've looked at the stats. Half of our shots. 36 of our 72 shots were three-pointers. And you're right, we took a lot of long twos as well. We It's like we didn't want to go to the basket at all. It was very weird, especially especially remembering how against the front line of Kentucky that we had we talked about here was so big that Duke was able to get in the lane and, and make things happen against them. And they couldn't do that somehow against Army. Now, Army wasn't a small team. They, they had a number of pretty big players who were able to stand in the way, but that shouldn't be enough to deter guys like RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson from getting to the hole. The other problem today really was on the defensive end. And, and I, even, even though Duke gave up a lot of points against Kentucky, it still felt like there wasn't a defensive game plan today. It felt like they were lightly defending the perimeter and letting in particular Miami's or Miami army's guards get, get to the rack much easier than I would have expected army players were um we're getting to the whole hey, it was Tommy getting Funk. off layups that, that yeah I was gonna say, it was Tommy Funk it was the Tommy Funk show that kid had 10 assists and his ability to get in the lane draw the defense and drop it off to to other guys for layups was really impressive layups and three pointers I mean a lot of uh, I was commenting to Sam during the game that during their warm-ups they were practicing a play where they dribbled down into the paint pass it out to an open guy on the corner or the wing who shoots the three. They they worked on it for like 20 minutes during their warm-up, uh, with their initial warm-up. And that is where they got a lot of their points. It, it was just wide open three-pointers on the in the corner and in the wing. And Funk was finding those guys and and even you know, you know, driving into the lane from the front, he was still able to kick out to the corner for a guy that just happened to be open. And that was kind of something that you know I noticed during the game is like they they practiced that and you know, you know, just like Army, they they practiced perfection and they were and they were executing that play perfectly each time. The other thing that I noticed today was how often Coach K was going to the bench and rotating players around. I think we saw most of the scholarship players minus Joey Baker in the first half. So guys were were getting in early and and they were making a lot of substitutions. So there might have been a learning aspect to this game. I haven't had time to, to go look at the, the post-game commentary, but Donald and I agreed at halftime. We were like, man, Coach K is probably going to be angry at the fact that this team 
it that is so talented is only up whatever it was like six or eight points eight, at halftime. Yeah, 50, fifty to forty-two, yeah, eight points. It, it did not, despite scoring fifty points and technically being on track to get to a hundred, did not look like they were they were totally engaged. That might. So what I what I was getting at then was that this might have been a an experiment game for for Coach K and for the coaching staff to kind of figure out which lineups work well together because we saw so many substitutions and we saw not even necessarily guys coming in for other guys of their equivalent size. We, we, we saw a lot of, of mixing and matching of the lineups of Zion Williamson having to play the five and RJ Barrett having to play the four, not always having sort of a traditional big man on the floor. So that part of it was interesting to me. I didn't, I didn't come away with it thinking that there was a particular lineup combination that was like, Ooh, that actually, that actually works all together. Like those, those different guys who don't, who you don't necessarily think of as being complimentary complement each other well. But I, I guess I appreciate in, in that regard that coach K is trying to find the optimal way to deploy this lineup because despite how good they looked against Kentucky and scoring all those points and j- just being so mesmerizing, it's not like Duke has this, this very efficient like execution that we know this is how they're going to attack teams and it's always going to work. It seemed like it was a lot of, of individual play and you don't want to rely on individual shot creation primarily as the form of offense, because if, if you shut a guy down or if a guy gets hurt, then, then everything changes. So I think he's still trying to figure out how does the offense flow with this team who, you know, it's cool that, that so many different guys can bring the ball up, but then how do they initiate the offense if, say, Cam Reddish gets a long rebound but doesn't get on the fast break, or Zion Williamson gets the ball but he doesn't get on the fast break, but he still then has the ball at the top of the key. I think they're still trying to figure all those things out and and get better because they still are a young team and they still have a lot of room to grow even though they look very good right now. Well, Sam, just a second ago, you were talking about the rotations, and I wanted to very briefly um, mention... Uh, a, to me, a really surprising development that, uh, frankly, we've we've seen in both of the first two games now, and I think that it's probably going to be true over the course of the season. And I'm going to hearken back to when we were doing our predictions of the minutes, um, you know, uh, how many minutes uh, specifically Jack White was going to play. And and um, uh, Sam, you had the highest number, you were 401, I, I believe was the number. It is entirely possible that you will win that prediction contest by the time we reach Thanksgiving. <laughs> um Jack White uh, in this game played as many minutes as Marquise Bolden and Javon Delorier combined. White played 25, Delorier and Bolden combined for 25. That was, by the way, also more than Alex O'Connell. Alex O'Connell played 10 minutes. Um, it is becoming abundantly clear, at least to me, um, and you know, maybe part of the problem is, I mean, Army is not a team that has a lot of big guys. You're, you're right, they weren't tiny, but... They're they're not a team that that is that is playing a traditional post kind of offense and post kind of player. So it's possible that Kay went. I don't need Bolden and Delorier as much as I will against North Carolina, for example, who who are you know have tons of big men. Um, but I I think it's entirely possible that we're going to find out that Coach K's preferred lineup when the game is on the line late in the game. I think Coach K's lineup is going to be Barrett, Reddish, Williamson, Ty, uh, Trey Jones. And Jack White, not Marquise Bolden, not Javon Delorier, not Alex O'Connell. I think Jack White, if you want to call him the sixth man, you can. But I, I essentially think Jack White's going to get the fifth most minutes of anybody on this team. Um, and b- before we 
move away from this Army game and start talking a little bit more uh, about um, Kentucky and and the fallout from that. Um, I, you know, Donald, let me ask you: Were you concerned by R.J. Barrett's regression? Maybe the only word to say. Um, as great as R.J. was against Kentucky. Uh, I, I, I didn't love his shot selection. I mean, you guys mentioned, talk, talk, talk to me a little bit what you saw from RJ today. There was a lot of hero ball and, and it was, it's concerning. You know, I, I didn't consider it hero ball, but it definitely was frustrating. And I think he was frustrated, um, just on the day. It seemed like everything that, you know, was going in for him or, or, or all the, you know, the lanes that were open for him against Kentucky were very much closed up against army. And Army did a great job at containing him and making him get outside of his comfort zone. It's something that's going to be that he's going to have to learn uh, this year in college. Uh, but one thing that I, I, you know, was looking at today, he had five turnovers, and the turnovers that he had was like a hitch in his uh, in his stutter step or in his in his first step when he grabbed the ball. There were all like there was one that was a a a, um, a carry, um, you know. A, that it was called and the other four were traveling calls and the reason for that is that he kind of like was trying to take a crow hop before he would start on his drive to the lane and uh i don't know if you noticed this um uh jason but tv teddy valentine was one of those refs out there today and he made a meal out of calling those uh those travel calls very quickly um before the draft even start i feel like that frustrated him and he tried to kind of compensate by taking some shots that were unnecessary. Uh, but I think that's, it's, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about overly because I think it's just one of those games where he's, he's going to learn, Hey, there's going to be times where I get frustrated and I need to just settle down and play my game. I think he did that a little bit more in the second half. Um, but I, I think also one thing that really feeds him is Zion Williamson. I think those two have a great rapport. You can see it in the pregame. You can see it during the game when, you know, when one is down, the other is picking them up. So I think that is going to be something that's going to be very important this year. Those two guys playing together, I think, is when R.J. Barrett is at his best because Zion can help him be at the level that he needs to be. All right, gentlemen. I, I, so I think we have to go back in time a little bit. We have to talk. We, we did a special podcast about the Kentucky game, but we need to talk a little bit about some of the fallout, so to speak, from that game. And and I want to start the discussion with this. Uh, I am as impressive as Duke was in that game. I have spent the past 48, 72 hours or so. Every time I bump into someone, because everyone and their brother knows that I'm the world's biggest Duke fan, or one of the three biggest Duke fans, I should say, um, uh, Friends that I run into, people who are people who I didn't even know necessarily uh, paid attention to college basketball. I, I actually had one of my wife's friends this evening said to me, "Hey, how about Duke? Like, people are coming up out of nowhere and want to talk to me about how great Duke is at basketball." And to every one of those people, my message has been the same. And I want to I want to be clear that I was saying this before the the Army game was closer than people thought it was going to be. I've been like, can we slow our roll? Can we just calm the hype train a little tiny bit? Because in the wake of the Kentucky game, ESPN was doing segments on SportsCenter 
and First Take and all those other stupid shows and running articles about what the line would be if Duke played an NBA team. Like, we've played one, now two. We've played one game, and people are talking about, hey, how would these guys do against the NBA? It's insanity. It's crazy. People have gone just bonkers because of this one Kentucky game. I'm not going to toss it to either of you. Do y'all do you agree with me that it's gone insane and that we need to slow our roll? We need to calm down a little bit. How about we? How about we see how we do in Maui before we decide that this team is a, is going to play against an NBA team? It's it's crazy, isn't well, it? I mean, I mean, look, you you have to take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. I I don't get when they were. T- I mean, the next day they were talking a lot about you know the game and the fallout and like. How good can Duke be? The words undefeated were thrown out. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not getting hype up over that because this team is definitely team. going to lose games. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. Wait, wait. I'm trying to win a national championship. And if it takes if it takes a couple losses to do that, then I will I will exchange those losses for a nice sixth title uh banner to hang in Cameron at the end of the season. I, I think I think we're all in agreement there, right? At 150%. Absolutely. In fact, I will say that I think with freshmen, with guys this young, um, who who clearly, and look, they showed it today against Army, clearly they have they have to learn um, things about success as well as failure. I think they, they will need to lose a game, probably more than one, to begin to understand the effort and the communication and all those other things that coach K preaches constantly that it takes to win a national title. Do y'all want to know something insane? You want to know something truly crazy? If you walked into a Las Vegas sports book right now, now I'm not in Vegas, but I've looked it up online. If you walked in right now today and you said, I want to bet on Duke to win the national title, put another way, you're going to walk in, you're going to say, I want to bet on Duke to win six consecutive games against some of the best teams in the country come the end of the season. If you were to bet on Duke to win the national title right now, you would get two to one odds. That's stupid. (laughs) If if we were currently in the final four, two to one odds would be a little bit crazy if you ask me. You might as well just take us off the board for a two to one. That's just a dumb number. Two to one? A week week ago, Duke was – the number one pick in Vegas. We were still before the Kentucky game. We were number one. Us and Kentucky were both tied as the top pick. We were five to one. I, I thought five to one was kind of crazy, but I could. I, I guess I can see five to one. But uh, you're t- Duke is two to one right now. This is this is bonkers. This is not sanity. I mean, but here's the thing. This was for the rest of America the first time that they got to see this team play. No one saw, no one saw us playing Canada. No one saw our, our exhibition games for Duke, for everyone outside of the Duke bubble. It was their first chance to see Duke. And it's a, and it's a very major game. Duke versus Kentucky is a national game, right? But also it's the first time for a lot of these people that they have to open their mouths to say, Oh my God, Duke is a great team and they're fun to watch. And, Look what they did to a team that is perennially one of the top teams, top programs in the country. They beat the number two team by 34 points. All these accolades, right? So that's why they're going wild. But you know who's not going wild? For the most part, very few people inside the Duke bubble are going wild 
And so that's why I don't think it's anything to really take stock in because it's, it's people who are, it's people who are opening a present expecting to find a matchbox car and they get a Porsche and what do they want to do? They want to drive the shit out of it. And, and, that's, <laughs> and, that's, what and that's what they're doing right now. Meanwhile, we're like, yo, we're just going to keep this baby into the garage until it's time to let, let it loose. Right? Like that's where we're at. And, and that's kind of what you saw this week. You weren't seeing Duke people talk to talk to you about undefeated or, you know, that we could beat the Warriors. It was people who were outside that bubble. And I think that's why it's not going to be something that hopefully will linger because I think, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be reined in as the season goes on. Uh, Donald, I will say this. We will conclude this conversation with, I want to tip my hat to you. That matchbox car, matchbox car to Porsche analogy, that is one of the best commentaries we've ever had on this podcast. Congratulations, sir. Well, it just well, goes to you. show you the quality of the discussion here on the DVR podcast. This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Dominate Test Prep. Speaking of Duke dominating, if you want to dominate the GMAT or the GRE, you should go to dominatetestprep.com. Dominate Test Prep was founded by a Duke alum, a gentleman named Brett Etheridge. And dominatetestprep.com teaches you Brett's proven test-taking strategies that produce high scores on test day. If you're gonna, th if you're thinking at all about taking the GMAT or the GRE, check them out and make sure you use the coupon code Go Devils. That's Go Devils, and you'll save ten percent off your course package. That's DominateTestPrep.com, founded by Duke's Brett Etheridge. Brett, thanks for being a sponsor of the DBR podcast. Gentlemen, we're going to take a little break from the basketball talk. We'll get back to it in a moment, but we also have to talk about some football because this weekend, Duke played our hated rivals, the North Carolina Tar Heels, those cheating bastards. I uh, will never forgive them for their decades of cheating. Um, and uh, Duke won the game 42-35. to 35. Uh, It was a really weird game because in the first half, no one could stop anyone. And in the second half, it was like, it was all the defenses. <laughs> it was kind of crazy in that way. But uh, the Blue Devils end up winning the game again. 42 to 35 was the score. Gentlemen, I know y'all were at the game. And the story of this game was Daniel Jones. Uh, please, Sam, tell me a little bit about how impressed you were with Daniel Jones. Honestly, I think it's less Daniel Jones and more that the offensive line finally was able to give him space to operate. Because prior to, the, prior to this week, really, we had talked consistently about how Jones wasn't getting the protection he needed to to do what we knew he was capable of. I, I think that you can read those silly NFL draft reports and from you know what whatever it was a month or so ago when they were thinking, oh, is Daniel Jones like a first round pick or a second round pick? Which I don't know, maybe he is. I, I don't know enough about how they how they scout these prospects, but then that kind of fell off because Duke lost a few games. He didn't look so great. Then all of a sudden this week, it's like. Is Daniel Jones back? Well, I don't know. He he has it didn't it doesn't seem to me like he's changed so much, but he had opportunities the other day and he capitalized. The most impressive thing to me was the running. Um we saw him last year have pull off some some nice runs. The other day, I don't know if if they were designed or or if he was 
just taking what the defense was giving to him, but he he busted out a couple of really long runs where he was running straight down the field and no one was stopping him. And, and he was able to to read the defense and, and get out in space that and unfortunately there was the one where he where he landed. It looked like he landed in the end zone, but but came up just short. Really impressive yeah, his, running game. On, on the on the replay, you could see his knee went down and the ball was like at the half yard line. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I think most of those runs were uh, kind of option plays where he can either give it to the running back or he can pull it back and run it himself. So it's sort of you know that kind of a play. But continue. That so on on the passing, I thought that the the passing game for Duke was sort of hit or miss. Like you said, Jason, in the first half, it was like Duke was hitting everything. And then in the second half, they, they couldn't hit anything anymore. So well, yeah. that's because we were dropping passes. Right. So so that that was the challenge was that just, a, wait, a number of the number of the wide receivers were were having sort of weird days. Like like they would make the catches and then they wouldn't. Um I don't think we've seen a Duke team who a Duke wide receiver core be this inconsistent where clearly there are a number of guys out there, three or four of them who are very fast and get out in space, but then the ball comes to them and they don't know, they don't know how to catch it. And that's, that's a challenge. It's hard for Daniel Jones also to show that he's elite when, when he has wide receivers dropping passes that he's, he's tossing into their laps like that. Oh, not just their laps. I mean, the, the pass that Taylor dropped, uh, that was like a, a 30 or 40 yard, Bomb. I mean, a, the one an incredible that, throw. The one that landed on his head. Or hit him in the head. Yeah. yeah hit I know that it, it bounced, bounced off of him pretty hard. That was insane. Uh, although I think the NFL guys, supposedly, the word is there were like a half dozen or more NFL scouts who were in attendance at this game to watch Daniel Jones. Why um, were, hold on, hold on. Why were there multiple NFL scouts at a Duke UNC football game? To watch Daniel Jones. Okay. No, seriously. I mean, that. Believe me, there. You know, I'm not saying Green Bay or New England. <laughs> uh, you know, teams with with great quarterbacks aren't looking at Daniel Jones, but teams who are there are plenty of teams that are trying to find their quarterback of the future, and Daniel Jones is high up on their list of guys to at least evaluate. Um, well, if they didn't uh, get a chance, if they didn't get a chance yet, Duke is playing Clemson this weekend, and they just announced today that the game is on ESPN in prime time. So hopefully there will be. Boy. Hopefully there will be even more scouts in attendance for that. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, frankly, that Duke got a got a prime time spot against a quality opponent. Uh, you you would think a game like this would definitely be slotted for noon, and Clemson would 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 come in maybe sleepy. It being in prime time, I do not think bodes well for the Blue Devils um, as Clemson's trying to secure their spot in the college football playoff. Yeah, well, so wait, before we go to, I want to get Donald's impression of this game and 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 another thing as well. But before we go, I just really quick, I want to give you all, I heard an incredible stat. This is one of the great stats of all time, in my opinion. Carolina scored on four of their first six possessions. Really impressive. On their next seven possessions after that, they gained a total of 23 yards. So, I mean, our much maligned defense that is banged up and banged up doesn't even cover it. Um, really, really stepped up against Carolina for long, long stretches of this game um, and, and was so, so, so impressive. Um, and, and then before I go to Donald, did you guys see Coach Cut dancing to James Brown? Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Donald, oh, talk about that. Awesome. Donald, Don, yeah, Donald, tell me about Coach Cut. Get up off of that thing, James Look, Brown. 
I, I, I rate, I, you know, I am, I'm a big Motown fan. I'm a big soul fan. I'm a big James Brown fan. I am giving coach cut a 10 out of 10 for that performance. It was terrific. And here's the thing. It seemed very like impromptu and was like, Oh, Oh, we're just going to play James Brown and you're not going to invite me. Like that was, that was his reaction. And it, it was, it was terrific. That was a, that was a great moment. Uh, it, it just shows uh, I, I, that coach cut can never leave. Like that's just, it's, etched in stone i i hope it's in his contract he just can't leave because that those sort of things need to stay in our lives uh for our enjoyment <laughs> i'll take Amen. the I'll, I'll take the the questionable clinging to to assistant coaches who have been had the game pass them by to occasionally have the clips of coach cutcliffe dancing to motown exactly. Exactly. absolutely all right, so hey, so Donald, um, your turn to talk a little bit of football, and you can either tell me about what you liked about the UNC game, or I know you are a Miami person. You're a Miami fan. If you want to hearken back a little bit to the game that made us bowl eligible, um, and to some extent, uh, probably the biggest win of the biggest game of the season, although that Northwestern win looks really good as time goes by. But talk to me a little bit about um, both Carolina and Miami. So for Miami, or I'm sorry, for North Carolina first. Uh, I, I will also talk about the fact that, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, and, and I'm quoting my friend here who's a, U, who's a UNC uh, uh, fan, uh, he, he texted me and said, somehow Daniel Jones turned into Michael Vick. Uh, and that's because on Saturday he played like Michael Vick. Um, I, I think for the first half it was a straight-up video game that we were watching on t- on, unfold uh, in real life because both teams – we're scoring on every possession. No one could offer any defense. For us, it really was it was frustrating in the sense that you know uh, North Carolina was great at running around the edge. We've talked about this all year uh, with our injuries. We just are are down to like fifth and sixth string guys who are you know just don't have the legs to cover that sort of ground. And teams are exploiting that. And, and I really think that UNC did a good job of doing that. On the other hand. I think we did a good job of doing the same thing right back at them. You know, the holes that they had up the middle were exploited by Daniel Jones, by Deion Jackson, um, you know, throwing the ball. I, look, we could have probably had 80 points with, you know, some of these passes that were dropped. Uh, so I thought that, you know, our, our wide receivers, as Sam said, had kind of an erratic day. Uh, they'd make a great catch. And then like the next long bomb, they would drop it or bounce off someone's face mask or, or, or something like that. But I think with that, it was very interesting to see uh, the war of attrition. Who was going to blink first uh, it, with this game? And I think it was North Carolina. Uh, and here's the thing. We had a, a string of possessions where we had, a, you know, a blocked field goal, a fumble, and a fumble, all deep in North Carolina territory. And we still persevered through that. And the defense really clamped down and really made, a, a, you know, made North Carolina have to be on their heels the rest of the game. No pun intended. Uh, but I, Oh, I yeah, think- man. Uh, but, so we it, the final score was 42-35, and we had to sweat the final play. Duke should have been winning this game by 20-plus points. Right. I mean, you, you are so right. The, 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 the woes of our kicking game, oh, not good. And, yeah, we made several key turnovers. But, all right, so I think you're about to turn to Miami. Can I you give me some Miami? Yeah, so uh, the one thing – um, that I was talking about last week, uh, our, 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 when we previewed the Miami game, uh, was that we had to get into the heads of the Miami quarterbacks and make it so that they had a long day. And 
I will give you the passing totals for uh, Miami. It was 13 for 28 for 111 yards. Now, that was two quarterbacks. That wasn't one. If that was one quarterback, you'd say that was a terrible game. But that was for both quarterbacks that played, in Cozy Perry and Malik Rozier. And I think that is what allowed Duke to really pull off victory in what was a terrible game as far as the elements. I mean, you know, it probably it seemed like 45 inches of rain fell during that game. They were playing in a, in a moat. Um, and, and it really affected the passing game. I know, you know, Daniel Jones, I thought, had a pretty good game in the air considering the elements. You know, he he only he had the one interception, uh, but he was 17 for 35 for 130 yards. I thought that was pretty good. Deion Jackson had a ridiculous game, and he was, you know, the first play from scrimmage, 75-yard touchdown. And from there, he was, you know, it was, even though it was a slugfest back and forth as far as, you know, getting through the water um, that was Hard Rock Stadium. I thought Deion Jackson had a, you know, did a great job at, you know, making a lot of big gains for average, helping keep the football in Duke's hands and and really taking the the momentum out of uh, the hands of Miami. And I think that is why we pulled off a game, which a lot of people didn't think we were going to win. I mean, Miami has, has been struggling, but they, that was the game that they thought they were going to win t- for them to become bowl eligible. And in the, you know, Duke really persevered. And, and like we've talked about before, the number of injuries that we've had on defense and for them to ink, you know, squeak out a win and only allow 12 points in the process. That is a tremendous win for this team. And I think that is why we're bowl eligible. Yeah, it's been a very, very successful season thus far. Um, you know, you kind of feel like everything, Everything coming up, you know, after this is sort of gravy, and and the gravy begins with the Clemson game. We won't get into a full preview of the Clemson game right now. Um, we're gonna have a in case a you in case you didn't know, Clemson is very good. <laughs> they're okay. Yeah. yeah, you think so? They're uh, they're, they're quite impressive. The the line I, I think spread is something like Clemson by twenty seven, and uh, I'm not gonna tell you not to take Clemson there, but man, whew, they're awesome. This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is also sponsored by Bird Campbell PA. Bird Campbell, the law firm founded by two former Dukies. Uh, They are based out of Florida and Texas. If you have legal needs in those places, we urge you to reach out to them at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com, birdcampbell.com. Or if you don't have legal needs, you can reach out to them and just tell them that you agree with them Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Guys, we're going to get back to basketball again, and we're going to get back to recruiting because on Friday, Duke added the newest Blue Devil to the mix, another member of the class of 2019 high school who will be joining the Duke Blue Devils. That is none other than Boogie Ellis. Now, if if there's nothing else about Boogie Ellis, we'd be able to say that he has one of the coolest names of anyone ever to attend Duke basketball. Boogie. I love that name. But uh, Boogie Ellis will be uh, will be coming to Duke. And uh, guys, before I get to you all, I am traditionally the guy who talks about the recruits. So I'm going to give you a little bit of stuff on Boogie Ellis and then let y'all talk about it a little bit more. But th- this dude is flat out gets buckets. Um, he is a combo guard. 
Um, he's someone who could play point guard if we need him to, but if we don't, he will fill it up on the wing. He shot, get this, 46% on his three-pointers in the uh, EYBL, in the elite AAU games over the spring and summer. 46%. And and just so you don't think, oh, he, he only took like eight or 10 shots. You know, that's how he, he took 144 threes this summer and hit 46% of them. You want another sign of what a good shooter is? In EYBL play, in AAU play, he averaged 87% on his free throws. There was one game this summer where he dropped 43, 43 points. This dude is a stud scorer. And here's something you love to hear about a recruit. This is a guy who has rocketed. He has worked hard at his game, and he has rocketed up the rankings. A year ago at this time, Boogie Ellis wasn't even a top 150 recruit. Duke wasn't even – this kid, to say he wasn't on our radar, that doesn't even do it justice. This is someone that Coach K probably hadn't even heard of, but he had a great spring, a great summer, and his junior year of basketball just, you know, he blew up. He's now considered top 30 or so. He may end up being a McDonald's All-American, but Duke is thrilled to be getting Boogie Ellis as part of the program. Uh, Donald, I'll go to you first. Any feelings about how the class of 2019, high school class of 2019, is shaping up for the Blue Devils? It, it sounds like it's shaping up pretty well. You know, we like you said, we have Wendell Moore. We have, uh, you know, Boogie Ellis now. I think we're still going after Vernon Carey um, and, and still have uh, a chance at that and a couple other guys. But I, I think it's shaping out because here's the thing. We, we talk about this, the 2018 class and how, how great it is. And people, you know, some people calling it the greatest class ever assembled. And, you know, when you look at, you know, the guy that's in the top 20 and the guy in the top 30 uh, and people are like, oh, this is kind of a letdown. But I really don't think it is. I think for this year's class, it seems like Coach K is going after guys of need and, and you know, a guy that can score. We, we, we're going to need scores. We're going to need a big man um, and we're going to need a wing. So I think what he's going after is not necessarily, you know, the top the top, top guys in the class. I know a couple have uh, removed, uh, have removed our names from contention, but I think in the end, he's going after guys that he thinks there's going to be a good fit for this basketball team uh, in the future. And I think that's good. And I think with Boogie, like you said, he can score like flat out score. And I think, you know, one of those, a score like that is something that is going to be always needed in college basketball. So uh, big up to Boogie. Um, it, can't wait to see him in a Duke uniform. Jason, the description you just gave me about Boogie Ellis makes him sound maybe like a Nolan Smith type player, like not not the biggest guy, but but knows how to move with the ball and and knows how to score. Does that sound does that sound like maybe yeah. a good comparable? That that is excellent. And there are a lot of people who are saying the exact same thing about him. There are a lot of people who are saying he reminds them of Nolan Smith a little bit. He he's not a guy who's physically huge. Um, he's only six two. Nolan Smith wasn't. You know all that. Uh, you know, uh, dominating a guy in terms of his physical size, um, and and somewhat like Nolan, there are a lot of folks who think Boogie Ellis is someone who will grow into his role at Duke. Um, uh, not to say he won't play as a freshman, but but that he won't be someone who will be dominant right out of the box as a freshman. But that you know he'll be be here for a few years, and that you know sophomore, junior, maybe senior year, he will be a real stud and a and a really good player for us. That's that's the kind of guy I'd like to get excited about because I I'm going to be curious next year. Duke may not have as many of these 
one and done, you know, big time all American type guys the way they have this year, but they're going to have experienced uh, older players, guys like Jack White, Javin Delorier, Marquise Bolden are likely all going to be on the team next year. And so there's going to be like a, a good anchor for leadership. Alex O'Connell will be a junior. So there'll be a lot of a lot of older talent in place. So it'll be curious to see how they bring up younger guys next year. I think this year is going to be sort of fluky in terms of, yeah, we have captains in, in Javin Delorier and Jack White, but, but neither of those guys figures to be a starter. Um, maybe they get spot starts here and there, but, but aren't going to play as prominent of a role as, as they should next year. I'm excited also that the Duke's got guys that are in that slightly lower than, fully elite tier because they'll stick around and we'll get to see them develop a little more the way that we're seeing guys like O'Connell and Delorier and Marquise Bolden, although he was, he was a little bit higher rated. So I'm excited on that front, but, but really looking forward to see also if, if Duke can land uh, a Vernon Carey or someone else of that ilk to, uh, to round out this class. Well, and, and the other thing to be excited about is, you know, the crazies are going to have fun yelling boogie. Okay, folks, we have a Duke basketball game coming up uh, in the next few days. The Blue Devils will be playing Eastern Michigan, the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Um, and uh, Eastern Michigan is already 3-0 and on the season, although two of their games were against NAIA schools. I'm not even sure those games necessarily count. But they did play Drexel, and they beat Drexel. Um, uh, uh, some dude named Paul Jackson had 20 points, and Bubakar Toure had a double-double, 14 points, 11 rebounds to lead Eastern Michigan against Drexel. I would be remiss if I even began to try to preview the Eastern Michigan game because we are graced on this podcast with none other than Donald Wine, and Donald is a Eastern Michigan fan. He grew up like only feet away from the campus or something like that. Donald, why don't you tell us all about Eastern Michigan? I was born on November 30th, 1982. Yes, I have a birthday coming up, and I was born at St. Joseph's Mercy Hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan, literally across the street from Eastern Michigan University from their football stadium and what didn't exist at the time but now exists, the Convocation Center uh, where Eastern Michigan Eagles play basketball. Uh, and, and so it is a big part of my life. I, you know, I, I've always uh, have, have a soft spot for, for the Eagles. They were the Hurons back in the day. Uh, changed the name to the Eagles very early on in my in my life um, and have been the Eagles ever since. But talking about Eastern Michigan, one thing that sticks out is you have a guy named you, you talked about Paul Jackson. Paul Jackson, you know, he's he's their scorer, but he's not doing it from beyond the arc. Uh, in the first two games, he's only shooting 14 percent from three. He, he is trying to get into the lane and trying to create baskets in the lane, in the paint. Uh, Bubakar Toure does the same thing. He's, he's, you know, he's very big, um, 6'11", he's from Senegal, um, and, and really can, and wants to dunk the ball. He wants to lay it in. He's averaging right now 71% field goal percentage, uh, and that's because he's getting easy buckets. Um, so what is the key to this game? Limit the easy buckets. Um, I, I think we didn't do a good job of that against Army today, uh, and I think that's something that we can easily see uh, uh, what we did uh, poorly and really try to fix it for this game against Eastern Michigan because they're not shooting a lot of threes uh, and they're not shooting them well um, so far early on in the season. And like you said, Jason, 
they this includes two games against NAIA opponents. So um, uh, with with Paul Jackson and with Bubakar Touré, they're going to be the main scorers. But obviously, you have a couple of guys. James Thompson is going to be a uh, you know a guy who can get rebounds. Uh, Ty Gross is also a guy who can get rebounds. And Kevin McAdoo um, is a guy that he's only played one game. He he's averaged ten points in twenty one in, in twenty one minutes. But I think is a guy that's kind of like what will be viewed as their X factor this year um, because he can shoot the three better than anybody else on their team. So, uh, and, and he shoots about 40%. So what, what does this all mean? If we can, you know, limit it, you know, turnovers inside, I'm sorry, limit their opportunities inside the paint, force them to kind of shoot outside jumpers, not, not open ones, but contested outside jumpers. That's going to give us a chance um, uh, to really get out on the break, which is what I know a lot of our guys love to do. So, uh, and, and then also on offense, um, you know, if we can settle down and hit some shots, you know, against Kentucky, we shot like 69% from the floor and like 47% from three. We're not going to do that every game. But against Eastern Michigan, I think uh, if we're going to get a lot of opportunities for open looks outside, if we can make them, then it's going to be hopefully an easy night for the Blue Devils. Yeah, I think the offensive execution is the thing that I'm really looking for here. I want to see Duke move the ball a little better. And, and specifically, I want them to take better shots. The we, we talked about in this Army game today how Reddish and Barrett were, were taking these, these you know, mid-range jumpers that weren't really in the flow of the offense. A lot of times, Duke was, was letting the clock wind down on the, the, the shot clock wind down and was being forced to take weird shots. I know that um, <laughs> there was a, a moment, Donald, I don't think we mentioned it yet, where uh, Marquise Bolden had the ball at the at the three point line, with, oh yeah, you know, as he the shot clock too. was running out, and and he took uh, he took a, a, an unattractive, I would say, three point attempt. So, Jason, I'm not sure how your prediction on on Marquise Bolden's threes is coming along so far this year, but uh, that being said, I I would like to see Duke not have to take 25 seconds to set up a bad shot. I would like to see them take. 15 seconds to set up a good shot. There are plenty of guys on this team who can make good shots from different spots on the floor. They shouldn't be relying on these mid to long range twos that, that are not high percentage plays and, and, and don't flow well, but the passing is, is good enough on this team between Trey Jones and Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett. These guys can pass. There's no reason why they should be taking bad shots. So I want to see the offensive execution be a little crisper. Uh, You don't even you don't even really need the ancillary guys, the O'Connells, Jack Whites. You don't even need them to really get involved in the in the scoring for the scoring to look a lot cleaner. Obviously, those guys can be open, can can take the three pointers when 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 they've got them. But I, I want to see the the main offensive threats on this team really lock down and, and get good shots. Guys, it is time for Player of the Week. Uh, I think that we're probably going to all say the same name, but um, I will go to Donald first. And by the way, this is not just the Army game. This is Kentucky and Army combined. Donald, who is your Player of the Week? I feel bad saying um, that my Player of the Week is Zion Williamson because I I think you kind of have to be human to qualify for this award, and I don't think he's human i i just i'm not convinced yet but it's zion williamson if you told me he was an alien from another planet i wouldn't be like that's insane i'd be like "Mm, yeah i could definitely see that sam who is your player of the week 
there are five statistics generally that we put that we look at for for finding double doubles, right? It's points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Zion Williamson does all of them. He he is he fills up the stat sheet in the most impressive ways. Obviously, he scores. He gets into the lane. He he knocked down a few threes against Kentucky. Obviously, he gets rebounds. He, he gets up high. He's a big guy. He can box out. But the blocks, the blocks are the most impressive thing I think about Zion is the. The way that the way that he gets up, even when it doesn't look like he has the space, he comes from out of nowhere to get the blocks, and he doesn't he doesn't tip the ball. I mean, he smashes the ball. He smashes the ball out of bounds, which is not the best play. But the the play that we talked about against Kentucky, where he went up, just took the ball right out of the sky, and and then controlled it to to change possession and 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 create a fast break. That's what has been so amazing about him is is the way that he gets up and, and attacks the shots. And so obviously it's, it's my player of the week has got to be Zion Williamson. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to make it three for three. There's absolutely no question about it. Um, Zion Williamson hit 81.5% of his shots this week. 81.5% of his shots. Uh, just uh, he's not fair. Like if I'm so happy he's on our team because if he was on another team, I'd be watching him play. And I would say, I want that guy on my team so badly. It's not just that he's a great player. It's that he's incredibly exciting to watch. He brings energy. Um, We talked about the fact that he dives on the floor like a crazy man, Um, you know, gets after everything. I, I was I was, I, I've been so impressed with his ability to rebound outside of his area. One of the things the NBA looks for, one of the most important attributes of a big man these days is not the ability to grab a rebound. It's to grab a rebound outside of your area. Any fool can grab a rebound that comes to him. And guys with big wingspans can grab rebounds that come to them even if it's a little tiny bit outside of their reach. Zion Williamson grabs rebounds that he's nowhere freaking near. There were a couple rebounds he had today where I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to get that. And then suddenly like, Zion got it. And I was like, how did he do that? Because he was nowhere near the play. I mentioned he averaged 81.5% in his shots on his field goals this week. 27.5 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game, 3.5 blocks per game. Dude was just inhuman. Uh, there's no other way around it. And, and the most exciting, probably the most exciting player I can recall in a Duke uniform. I mean, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic to say that. This is the most exciting player I've ever watched play basketball at Duke. Zion Williamson, Player of the Week. Gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up with parting shots. We've been talking for a while, and um, our parting shot, folks, we're we're all doing the same parting shot this week. Uh, We very briefly, Sam mentioned this briefly on the Kentucky podcast the the duke nation lost a dear dear friend one of the greatest fans that duke has ever had al featherston passed away this week passed way 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 too young way 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 too soon al had written extensively about duke for the duke basketball report but not just for them he had also written about duke for the the durham herald sun he, he was involved in covering Duke and covering the ACC for, for numerous outlets over many, 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 many years. Um, this is a guy who knew Duke history 
as well as just about anyone out there. And um, and if you're someone who goes to the Duke Basketball Report bulletin boards, um, you you know the name Olympic fan. One of the best posters, one of the most thoughtful posters on the Duke Basketball Report bulletin board was someone known as Olympic fan. And now that Al has passed, we can let people know that Al, Al Featherston, the brilliant sports writer, was Olympic fan on the bulletin boards. He couldn't reveal his real name because he didn't want to be accused of impartiality when he when he covered sports for all kinds of different outlets, publications out there. But but he loved Duke so, so, so much that he wanted to be a part of the the forum, the online community. And uh, we cherished so much of what he wrote, so much of what he gave to to Duke. Um, and uh, Al will be very, very sorely missed. Um, Sam, uh, go to you first. Any any comments or thoughts on on Duke losing? Like I say, one one of the one of the greatest fans the school's ever had. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that the three of us value on this show, and that, and that we try to impart on all of our listeners, is is just like sheer Duke and ACC basketball knowledge. I, I really enjoy reading about old ACC players and and rivalries and teams. I think that that's really fun and it gives us a lot of perspective on where all these programs have come from and and what what it means to be a fan of different schools obviously you know I, i've i've only been really following duke basketball in say this century so i don't even remember guys like christian leitner let alone guys like mike jaminski or or going all the way back to you know the, like the vic bubis era so having having guys like al featherston around on the dbr forum to to you know to to set us all straight to remind us about about this player and that player and former coaches and famous ACC tournament games and all that stuff. I think that's really important. I think it's really fun. I think it makes you a not a better fan, but but maybe a, a more invested fan when you know all that rivalry detail. And I find myself constantly not not because I I want to like prove to anybody that I'm that, that I'm better than them or that I know more than them, but I, I find myself educating other people about ACC history. And I think a lot of the knowledge that I have comes from guys like Al who are, who he, he wrote more articles that just dove deep on random ACC stories. I think than anybody. And I, I love reading that stuff. I think it's so fascinating. I think it's fun. And, and we're really going to miss him. I, someone said on the, on the thread, on the, um, on the forums about him, you know, the, the best thing is that we have most of what he ever wrote archived on the internet. We can always go back and, and read those stories about the early ACC days. And he was a real treasure trove for information. If he had lived another 50 years, he would have had even more stories to tell us. And I'm, I'm going to miss that. I I appreciated reading him as, as a younger ACC fan. Getting immersed in the conference history was, was really special to me. So I'm, I'm going to miss his coverage. I don't think I ever actually met him in person but I feel like we all we all knew Al Featherston if you were around the DBR or or just reading about Duke on the internet anytime in the last thirty years. Yeah, Sam, I I, I totally agree one hundred percent with everything you said. I, I the one thing about Al that I always will take is that every time he posted something on DBR and and for those out there, you know, some people probably were aware of his identity on the DBR and some people were not. I was one of those people that found out about his identity. Um, obviously he kept it a secret because uh, that's what his wishes were. Uh, and, and there was reasons behind that, obviously, but uh, knowing that it was him and reading what he wrote on 
DBR and on other publications, I always learn something. And, and, you know, I'm with Sam in the fact that, you know, I'm relatively new to the, the Duke basketball history. I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't grow up a Duke fan. I became one, um, you know, and, and really the knowledge that uh, I have is just a knowledge, a general knowledge of college basketball. But when it's Duke centric and ACC centric, you know, a lot of that knowledge came from just reading what he had to, had to say. Um, I think one of the thrills uh, that I've had on this podcast was a, was Sam and I getting uh, fortunate enough to interview him for this podcast, uh, episode 32, uh, if you want to go back and listen to it. But uh, you could you could tell that we could have sat there for days and talked to him about uh, Duke basketball, the love that we all shared for uh, uh, for this team uh, and for this institution. And, and he you could see you could tell how much he loved uh, Duke, even, you know, just how he talked about it what he said, all the knowledge that he was in, the fact that he was willing to share all that knowledge because some people have this knowledge and don't share it. Uh, and he was one of those guys was very, re, you know, receptive to making sure everyone knew about the ins and outs of the school that we all love. And for that, I will deeply miss him. Uh, I think, you know, Duke and, and really, you know, college basketball as a whole lost a great mind uh, in Al Featherston. And uh, uh, we lost uh, on the DVR community, uh, even though, as Sam said, we didn't, you know, some of us didn't meet him in person. We all lost a friend in Al. Uh, and so he will definitely be missed. Gentlemen, very, very well stated. And folks, that is where we're going to wrap things up here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. A very successful week for the Blue Devils. Um, uh, before we go, I do want to mention that if you are out there and you're listening to us on whatever platform it may be, and you have not reviewed or rated us, given us those five star reviews, please, please go ahead and do it. Go in your iTunes. Just click on that little star icon right for the fifth star for five-star reviews for the DBR podcast. It helps us out with search results. It helps us out with all kinds of different things. And uh, we work really hard to, to provide you guys with good content. So please, please leave us a review, rate us a little bit. And if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, if you think we're totally full of it and don't know what we're talking about, Drop us a line. Write to us. You can write to us always at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We'd love to answer your questions. And everyone who writes to us, at least one of the three of us writes back. Always, always. Usually all three of us write back. That tells you how much email we get. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up, though, here on DBR Podcast. This is episode number 133. It's actually 134, but I'm not going to get into that whole rigmarole again. Um, for Sam Klein in Durham, for Donald Wine, not in Durham, now in Washington, D.C., and me, Jason Evans, in Atlanta. Thanks for joining us. It is now time for the Duke band to play us home. <laughs> <laughs>